Music and murder contains violence, oh. profanity, oh. and graphic material that may not be suitable for children oh. or people with weak stomachs. Oh. Parental advisory is definitely recommended. I'm at the Oasis Villa, and there's a shooting. Someone is shooting the band on the stage. He ran on stage and just started shooting people. Someone's shooting the band on the stage. On the stage at the Oasis Villa. This is Music and Murder, episode number eight. If you haven't heard the show before, welcome to my little world of insanity and chaos. I'm your host, Michael, and you and I are about to embark on the most difficult episode that I've ever done. An episode that I promised myself I would never do. But I've had some second thoughts because I really think that this story needs to be told correctly. First, because it is about the murder of one of the most talented people that ever walked the face of the earth. And secondly, because the person that murdered him was mentally ill. And I hope that this episode helps bring a little more awareness to mental health and the signs of someone that you may know being mentally ill. Now please, dim the lights, relax. Let me tell you a story of how one of my favorite guitarists of all time was murdered while playing on stage. This is the story of the life and death of Pantera and Damage Plan guitarist Daryl Lance Abbott better known as Dimebag Daryl. On December 8th, 17 years ago, 2004, in Columbus, Ohio, it was a cold, cold, cold night at a club called Al Rosa Villa. Half of the legendary heavy metal band Pantera was gearing up to play with their brand new band, Damage Plan. Guitarist Dimebag Daryl and his brother Vinnie Paul had both parted ways with Pantera over some ongoing altercations with Pantera's singer Phil Insomno. Details regarding this breakup are too controversial and facts are impossible to come by, so I can't tell you anything further on this subject. I have my theories and my opinions but no facts. So we will just say that Dime and Vinny left Pantera because they weren't happy, because that was and is a fact. Now there were five bands playing at Al Rosa Villa that night, and Damage Plan was set to play around 10 p.m. right after the four local bands opened the show. Two of the more popular local bands were Volume Dealer and 12 Gauge. Once we get into how this tragic story ended, you're going to see that this is a very ironic name for a band to be playing at this infamous show. And no, I'm not talking about what happened to Dimebag, because he was actually shot with a Beretta 92FS Series 9mm. But the band name 12 Gauge is just one of the crazy ironic coincidences that took place on that night of December 8th, 2004, as you will soon realize. Now the security at Al Rosa Villa was pretty ramped up that night because just a few weeks earlier, there had been a shooting at the same club. Kind of reminds me of my hometown. Hmm. Press no. <coughs> Press. <coughs> yeah. Okay. Now here's a little clip of how the club Al Rosa Villa was depicted by the news after the shooting. Police say this is not the first time that they have been called to a shooting involving the Al Rosa Villa. Just last month, police told us that a shooting on Morse Road stemmed from the fight at the Sinclair Road Club. And then in January of last year, four people were shot after another fight at the club. A Columbus police officer had to fire three rounds to get that situation under control. 
Now this show was a last minute show that Damage Plan added to their national tour, which actually technically ended in Boston just two days prior to this one. Which means they weren't even planning on playing this particular show in Columbus, Ohio until just a few days prior. I have to state the obvious and I have to say, not doing this show could have and would have changed musical history. Pantera may have even gotten back together. Who the fuck knows? Remember I was mentioning irony? Here's another little clip with a little more irony regarding the story. Pantera was one of the few heavy metal bands to make it to the top of the charts and millions of fans had hoped for a reunion one day. But as one said, just like the Beatles, it won't happen now. Ironically or not, Daryl Abbott was shot 24 years to the day that John Lennon was killed. Can you believe that shit? 24 years to the day. Two of the biggest and most popular musicians that ever lived were shot on the same day by one of their so-called fans after parting ways with their bands. And to make it even more coincidentally ironic, they were just barely a year apart in age when this happened. John Lennon barely turned 40 years old and Dimebag was almost 38 and a half when he passed. I can go on and on about a few other coincidences, but we need to stay on track and focus on the story at hand. But just know, it's some weird shit. As this show began, a man was pacing back and forth in front of the club. Witnesses say that he looked distraught, anxious, and very, very upset. This man was named Nathan Gale. Now Nathan was panting and he was talking to himself as if trying to pump himself up for something. Something that he had been wanting to do for quite some time. One witness had told the police that they asked Nathan if he was going into the show. And he replied, and I quote, No, I'm waiting for a real band to play. Unquote. Unfortunately, that real band that Nathan was waiting for was Damage Plan. And Nathan did wait for them to take the stage before he entered Alarosa Villa. That cold, cold night in Columbus, Ohio. At approximately 10 p.m., Damage Plan took the stage and they started their set with a song titled New Found Power. It was right around 90 seconds into that very song that Nathan Gale would stop pacing in front of Al Rosa Villa, jump an eight-foot fence in the back, and kick in a door and bum-rush the stage. This was the last song that Dimebag Darrell ever got to play before his life was taken at the age of 38. Now please, even if you're not a Pantera or a Damage Plan fan, or even a fan of rock music, just take a listen to it and think about Dimebag and his musical legacy that he left behind. He deserves respect as an artist no matter what your musical taste is. Again, this is Newfound Power from Damage Plan, and this is the song that Dimebag was playing when he was shot to death on stage. And we're barely even getting started on the story, so I'll be right back.
Welcome back to Music and Murder, episode number nine. And yes, I did say episode eight in the beginning, and I'm not going back to fix it. Just please know that this is episode nine, and it is the Dimebag Daryl episode. I'm your host, Michael D. Keeney, and this is the story about the life and death of Daryl Lane Abbott, also known as Dimebag Daryl. Before we continue, I'd like to invite you to be my 20th follower on the Music and Murder Instagram page which is simply music.murder.podcast. And I'd like to invite you to follow me on Facebook at Music and Murder Podcast. And I will follow you back on both pages. And if you'd like to be a guest or have your music played on this show, please email me at murdercast at mail.com. Not Gmail. It's just murdercast at mail.com. Now, if you've been under a crack rock your whole life and don't know who Dimebag Darrell was, he was one of the most talented and recognized guitarists that ever existed. His strange tuning, his amazing chainsawish straight razor tone, and the fact that he was a genuine human being made him one of my favorite people in the entire world. Here's what one fan had to say after an encounter with Dime and his brother Vinny at McDonald's. The thing that fans loved about Damage Plan was its lack of rock star ego. Sean Flaherty had a chance encounter with Dimebag Daryl on the OSU campus a few years ago. And I walked into a McDonald's and he was in there eating with his brother Vinny, who's the drummer of Damage Plan. And uh, they invited us to come over and sit down and eat with them. And we walked down OSU campus, went to a guitar uh, store. Dimebag autographed a CD for Flaherty, who stood down front later that night during the concert. When he died, he was doing something he loved, and there's a lot of people in the world that can't say that. Now, Dimebag was born on August 20th, 1966. He grew up in Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas. His father was a country singer, songwriter, and producer named Jerry Abbott, which is really kind of crazy because I have an uncle named Jerry Abbott. Seriously, you can't make this up. Now, even though Dimebag was in the band Damage Plan in 2003 and 2004 when he passed, his legacy remains with the monster hard rock, or if you prefer, heavy metal band Pantera. And just so you know, I really hate the way that hipster 20-somethings think that they can genreize everything, and everyone's an idiot who doesn't agree with what they call things. Music is art. Quit trying to ruin it with your stupid fucking genre bullshit. Okay, rant over. Now, Pantera existed from 1981 until 2003. And when their debut record, Cowboys from Hell, was released on July 24th, 1990, the metal music scene was never the same. I was in high school and I remember hearing Cowboys from Hell on the radio for the first time. And I was literally at Tower Records the next day buying the record. It was absolutely amazing and is absolutely amazing. And to all you youngsters out there, Tower Records was a place that people used to, uh, well, us people that lived in prehistoric times, actually purchased complete records. Can you imagine that? The musicians actually made money. A lot of us actually bought tapes vinyl records, and CDs just based on the cover and if it was cool or not. I mean, seriously, it was a crazy time. Now getting back to where we left off before I played the Damage Plan song, Nathan Gale, a huge fan of Pantera, was pacing in front of Al Rosa Villa 
in Columbus, Ohio, and as soon as he heard Damage Plan take the stage, this is what happened next. Several witnesses said that Gail hopped over an eight-foot security fence, burst through a side door at the club, and was on stage shooting before security guards who gave chase could catch him. Many of the audience thought it was all a hoax at first. The owner of the nightclub says it's just a terrible tragedy that nobody could do anything about. Now, we all know that things happen at nightclubs and bars. I've played over 5,000 shows in my life and I've seen so much violence that it's amazing I still do this shit for a living. But you know, you do get used to it. It's not usually the club owner's fault. I mean, sometimes they lack on security because they're tight asses, but for the most part, when you add testosterone, cocaine, titties, alcohol, penises, music, and vaginas, you're gonna have violent outbreaks. But there was nothing anyone could have done to stop what Nathan Gale did, especially in the manner that he did it. Because not only was Nathan Gale a disgruntled Pantera fan, he was also an ex-Marine. Now here's the mayor of Columbus, Ohio in 2004, who I'm going to refer to as Mayor Doucheflute because he's talking out of his ass about how these type of violent outbursts are the club owner's fault. Not his, or the police, or anything else. Just the club owners, who aren't supposed to use guns or deadly force or anything like that, but somehow it's all their fault. Mayor Coleman is in Washington tonight. He's calling for metal detectors as a deterrent to gun crimes in nightclubs. But he says it's up to the owners of those night spots to keep patrons safe. Those clubs and bars that have had repeated problems, uh, you know, they need to think about putting up uh, metal detectors and uh, uh, being more careful and watchful about who comes into their establishments. Now, it's people like him that are going to close down all the smaller live venues so people like myself and many of you can't work or see a good band. We're all stuck seeing Katy Perry's, Luke Bryan's, Kanye West's, and Michael Bublé's because there's hardly any mid-sized venues anymore. Not that I don't like those people, but come on. There's other fucking artists out there that deserve to work in the music industry as well. Oh, fuck. Sorry about that. I uh, thought that the ringer was off. Let's see who this is. That's oh, a block call. Hello. This is a prepaid collect call from... Chill motherfucking exotic, motherfucker. Oh, fuck. Let's go ahead and see what Joe has to say this time. One, to refuse charges. Thank Here you we for go. using T-Netics. You may start the conversation now. Hey, what's up, motherfucker? I want you to kill Kara motherfucking Baskin. I want you to kill that itty-bitty cocksucking motherfucking midget Jeff Lowe. Joe, you, you do realize that you're being recorded right now. I'm literally recording my podcast as we speak, and you're being recorded because you're in a fucking prison. Well, good, because I'm never getting out of this motherfucker anyway, so I want to tell you and all your listeners that if they kill that motherfucking Carol Baskin in that giant logo-wearing motherfucking midget cocksucker Jeff Lowe, I will personally give them 10000 motherfucking dollars delivered right to them. I'm a motherfucking shot caller up in here, Kenny. I got the keys to this motherfucking car, and I'm green lighting them motherfuckers. Well, Joe, if, 
If you're a high-ranking prison gang shot caller, why the fuck do you need me or any of my listeners to kill them for you? And why do you need to pay $10,000? Can't you just tell them, like, like one of your foot soldiers or whatever, that you're going to decapitate their whole family if they don't carry the hits out? Like most real non-fictional shot callers? Now you listen to me, motherfucker! This is music and motherfucking murder, and you know how to kill motherfuckers and how to dispose of bodies. You study this goddamn shit. You know that Jeff Lowe and that motherfucking Carol Baskin started fucking a long time ago, even before I met that little itty bitty motherfucker. And Carol talked him into infiltrating me, taking all my shit, and putting me in prison for life. Well, it sounds to me like she's a little smarter than you, Joe. And being that she's smarter than you, you're probably not gonna pull this shit off. And Jeff. And he does wear a lot of logos. He wears too many logos to be killed. He's like a walking billboard for Affliction, Harley-Davidson, and Oakley. So those companies are watching his back. Plus, he's a fucking snitch. So the police are also watching his back. You just can't do it, Joe. Kenny, you kill those motherfuckers before season three comes out, or you're fucking dead. And I'm gonna kill all your motherfucking listeners, too. I'm greenlighting your whole motherfucking audience, motherfucker. You kill Carol fucking Baskin and that fucking Jeff motherfucking Lowe, or you're all fucking dead. Fuck that Carol cocksucking, motherfucking dick-licking, dog-fucking, cum-catching, dirty-fucking whore Baskin! Okay, so I guess we're all going to be murdered. I'm sorry to bring you guys into this, but trust me, I've had my first death threat prior. Uh, I think I was about 18, 17. People don't really kill you when they say they're going to. It has happened, but it usually does not. So don't worry about Joe Exotic. He ain't killing anybody. Anyway, back to our story. So let's discuss the dude that actually did kill somebody, the guy that killed Dimebag and three other people on December 8th, 2004 in Columbus, Ohio. Nathan Gale. Now Nathan was born in Marysville, Ohio on September 11th of all days in 1979. He graduated from Marysville High School. Nathan served in the Marine Corps from February 02 until November of 03. So his birthday was obviously on September 11th, and on his 22nd birthday, Nathan, along with everyone else in America, including me, watched the World Trade Center towers go down in what seemed to be an act of terrorism. And I say seem because there are enough theories out there that I'm not going to say that it was or was not an act of international terrorism. But nevertheless, it did happen, and after it happened, within five months of watching this take place on his 22nd birthday, Nathan went down and joined the Marine Corps. Nathan was a Marine until November of 03, which means that he was a Marine for a little over a year and a half. Nathan told his mother and his friends that he was discharged from the Marines because of a diagnosis for paranoid schizophrenia. I've looked into everything that I can find and I cannot prove that this was true or say factually it was true. And all I can find is that Nathan was discharged prematurely from the Marines for a disability that was not in line of active duty. So it had nothing to do with with 
actually being a Marine. He was discharged for something else, which to me says that Nathan was telling the truth. He was likely discharged from the Marines because he was mentally ill, paranoid, and delusional. Now, there are multiple kinds of schizophrenia. A lot of people don't know that, but paranoid schizophrenia is the most prevalent. To back up that Nathan was delusional, here's a clip from a member of a local band that got to know Nathan because he'd come over to their band practices and sometimes sing along with them. And sometimes he would bring lyrics that he claimed to write. Angela, neighbors say that 25-year-old Nathan Gale lived in an apartment behind me here in downtown Marysville. His friends describe him as quite a loner. Dave Johnson and Jeremy Bray went to concerts with Nate. They even let him sit in on some of their band practices. But they say a few years ago, his personality began to change and they began to distance themselves from him. They say he loved music. He was almost obsessed with the band Pantera, now known as Damage Plan. We started to notice him acting a little funny. Um, we was having band practice one day, and he come. He wanted to sing a couple songs in our band, and we didn't really like the idea. And then he showed me his lyrics, and he had a couple pages of a few different songs that were Pantera lyrics that he said he wrote. And I said, "You can't do these. These aren't your songs." Now I know this could seem kind of comical. In fact, the first time I heard this clip, I I literally laughed a little bit. But this is literally a sign of being seriously delusional and mentally ill. This type of behavior solidifies to me that Nathan Gale was in fact completely mentally ill. And unless he was taking prescribed meds consistently, he likely would have stayed in that delusional state. There is no cure for schizophrenia. You can treat it with medication, but you cannot cure it. Now December 8, 2004 was not Nathan Gale's first time trying to attack Damage Plan. On April 4th, the same year, 2004, Gail bum-rushed the stage in Cincinnati, Ohio. He did this in the same fashion. He waited till the band started their first song, and about 30 seconds into that song, he jumped up on the stage and began screaming about the band breaking Pantera up. And then he began destroying all of the equipment and speakers that he could before the security got a hold of him. Gale was arrested, but being the good guys that Damage Plan was, they didn't press charges, and they forgot all about the incident. This is the last interview that Dimebag Daryl ever gave before he was gunned down by that same individual that they let destroy a bunch of their equipment without pressing charges exactly eight months earlier. This interview is with the singer of Damage Plan, Patrick Lockman, and Dimebag Daryl. Dimebag specifically brings up the fact that nobody has ever gave them shit about Pantera, but there was this one incident with Gale eight months earlier. But I'm sure when you have a schedule like Dimebag Daryl had, there could be many things that could slip your mind. Again, this is the last interview that Dimebag Daryl ever gave before he was gunned down. Or rather, it's a clip from the last interview with Dimebag Daryl. Let's, let's be clear on that. It's not the whole interview. It's just a little clip. 
And continuing our big story coverage tonight, we want to bring you more about the history of the band Damage Plan and one of Dimebag Daryl Abbott's final interviews. Damage Plan formed after Abbott and his brother Vinnie Paul split from the band Pantera, one of the most popular heavy metal bands of the 90s. In one of Abbott's final interviews, and you'll see him on the right side of your screen, he sat down with Damage Plan's lead singer, Pat Lockman, to talk about the challenges their new band had been facing. Before we play the old stuff at the end of the night, I let everybody know that, you know, ain't no chance in hell we're trying to ride on the credibility of Pantera. But sorry, you got half a Pantera there, and that was a huge part of me and Vinny's life, man. And uh, I feel that the fans got let down. You know, the Pantera fans were let down, and, and I'm here to prove with Damage Plan that me and Vinny had nothing to ever We never let the fans down, and that we can get up with Damage Plan and blast them songs better than they've ever been played and sang. And uh, the response has been great. And I'll tell you, there's not been a city that we've gone to that uh, anybody's gave us any flack about Pantera or Pantera in the middle of the set. Nobody's yelled nothing at us and nobody's come up to us and said, hey, dude, you know, this or that. It's been nothing but, hey, dude, we're down with the plan and uh, nothing but awesome comments and compliments for Pat, man. And uh, yeah, the point is definitely getting across. Now, during the show where Dimebag was shot in Columbus, Ohio, Damage Plan bass player Joe DeMarin told police that Gale was screaming something about Pantera right before he began shooting Dimebag. Now, Nathan Gale wasn't the only person that disliked Dimebag Daryl. Here is a news clip that speaks for itself, and I'm only playing this because this clip sickens me, and the band that is at the center of attention for this clip also sickens me. They said it was all a hoax and a joke to gain publicity, and the band claims that it was all just the singer. But I don't believe that shit at all. Anyone that can make fun of what happened to an artist like Dimebag and the manner that he died deserve to at least have their teeth knocked out of their mouth. Here's the clip. You judge. You would expect Dimebag Daryl's grave would be a place where people would only go to pay their respects to one of the most influential and revered guitarists, not just in metal history, but rock history. But back in February of 2015, something pretty awful happened to his grave. Someone vandalized it. If I know Pantera fans, I think I do, the outcome for the culprits was, well, not good. So you're probably wondering, how did this whole thing come to light and how are the culprits caught? Well, the reason the culprits were caught is because they bragged about it and that's how the whole story kind of broke. There was an Indiana metal band calling itself Nuclear Hellfrost and they posted something on Instagram basically bragging about the act. So there was an Instagram account associated with Nuclear Hellfrost at that time that was called Krusty Plague, and they posted a screenshot of them defacing Dimebag Daryl's grave, saying, I hate Pantera with a passion, and so does the rest of my band. So on tour going through Texas, we paid the D-bag Daryl a visit. We spit on his grave, stole a pair of cowboy boots, and wrote the F word on his grave. I'm not a homophobe, but I hope all the Pantera fans see this and crap themselves with anger. F Dimebag, bunch of racist hillbillies they would write. So Pantera would pick up that post and post it on their social media pages saying, we are absolutely disgusted by this. We ask that all of you please show Dime and his grave respect it deserves. This conduct will not be tolerated and the authorities have been notified about it. Following the news making its way onto the internet, the Facebook page for Nuclear Hellfrost posted a message distancing themselves from the incident, alleging it was the band's former lead singer who was to blame for the incident, saying the posts about us and to us are a complete surprise to us. 
Anything having to do with the grave desecration was entirely a hoax put on by our former lead singer completely disconnected from other members of the band. If you see Dimebag's grave, you can see there is nothing carved into his grave. The only thing that exists is a photo of a piece of paper posted by the former member. We are strongly against any sort of homophobia, racism, and outright disrespect for a human being. We have nothing but the utmost respect for Dimebag, and this is a misguided political publicity stunt that we were dragged into by a former member with an awful sense of humor. Nuclear Hellfrost as a band would like to apologize on this former member's behalf to not only Dimebag's fans, but most importantly his family. Again, the members of Nuclear Hellfrost had absolutely zero actual involvement in any of the alleged actions described by our former singer. Again, nothing but respect to Dimebag as a human being and condolences to his family. These are fabricated and contrived allegations on the internet that never happened in real life. It would turn out that Reese Eber, who is the one behind the Instagram post, he was also the former lead singer of the death metal band Nuclear Hellfrost, and he posted an apology following the fan outcry online, and he accepted full responsibility for the post, exonerating his former band and apologizing for what he'd done. So he wrote the message as follows, This is Reese Eber, the guy who ignorantly acted like a fool and pulled the dumbest possible delinquent act of my life. And where to begin? I've become famous today in the worst possible way. My friends and I have received death threats and multiple insults over the past day or so. I've made the news and all I can say to sum it up is that I'm deeply sorry. I acted ignorantly and completely out of line. There was no reason for doing what I did. And when I say I, I mean me alone. My friends were not present for the event and should have caught up with them when they were walking away. Instead, I left a piece of paper with an insult to a man many people idolize, and for a cheap laugh that I didn't think about the consequences. I did not carve into it, and it was a piece of paper, and nothing was stolen. I'm not asking for forgiveness. I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm only attempting to express an apology, and I want to reach out to people that I hurt and offended with this dumb act. There was no reason for what I did, and it was the worst mistake I've made in my young and evidently dumb life. I don't blame the threats and comments. I understand how people feel and why I'm an a-hole because I knowingly was out for blood. If you want to go read his entire message, I've put the link down below. Now, thankfully for Dimebag's family and friends, there was no actual damage done to the gravesite, although the now decade-long tradition of etchings have left it permanently scarred. However, Vinnie Paul Dime's brother once said that he didn't understand why somebody would want to scratch their name in somebody's tombstone or anything, but he conceded that their fans are rabid and often do unheard of things, saying, I just wish they would respect him and let him rest in peace and just leave it at that. So up until this point, it was pretty common for people to visit Dimebag's grave and leave whiskey bottles, guitar picks, a cigarette or two, and even etch their name. Okay, in the okay, you get the gist of what I was saying about these these guys that call themselves musicians that talk about legends like Dimebag. Fuck their band. Fuck their singer. They could have all taken it off of IIG if they really wanted to, and they didn't take it off of IG until the death threats started coming and people started probably whooping their fucking asses. Anyway, let's move on. The next segment is going to be the hardest part for me for this episode, and possibly for you as well. So I'm going to take a second to gather myself and play you my favorite Pantera song of all time. It's off the great Southern Trend Kill record that was released in 1996, just six years after their debut record, Cowboys From Hell, came out. And this song is called Drag the Waters. I hope you like it. In everyday life, there is more than meets the eye. To reach the depths of truth, we must drag the waters. Ah! Ah! 
On December 8, 2004, paranoid schizophrenic ex-Marine Nathan Gale stormed the nightclub Al Rosa Villa in Columbus, Ohio at approximately 10 p.m. while the band Damage Plan was about 90 seconds into their first song. And he shot Dimebag Darrell five times with a Beretta 9mm handgun that his mother had bought him as a present when he became a Marine. Gale shot Dimebag a total of five times while Dime was on stage playing guitar and headbanging with his hair in his face. He didn't even see the sky run up. There were almost 300 fans in attendance at the last minute show that was ironically added to their tour just a week or two beforehand. Gale ran up from the left side of the stage and shot Dimebag once in the right cheek, once in the left ear, twice in the back of the head, and once in the right hand, likely just to add insult to injury. He had probably plotted and planned to shoot Dimebag's right hand just as a last fuck you. You see, in Gale's mentally ill mind, Dimebag single-handedly broke up Pantera, and Gale thought that it was his job to murder Dimebag for doing that. After Gale shot Dimebag, people started rushing the stage to help out, so Gale, of course, began to shoot them as well. Luckily, a lone police officer wielding a 12-gauge shotgun got on the scene very quickly. Likely because Alarosa Villa had been such a hot spot for violence that the police likely kept a close eye on it. With the lone officer James D. Niggermeyer got on the scene, he made his way up to the stage and encountered Gale with a hostage. The hostage was actually Vinnie Paul's drum tech, John Cat Stevens. Here's a news clip that explains how this all went down. The gunfire broke out just after 10 o'clock. We received the call at 1018. That started the night of terror for Officer James Niggemeyer. Just two minutes after the call at 1020, he was inside the Al Rosa Villa nightclub without backup, searching for a killer. Once the officer entered, uh, it was probably less than a minute that he engaged the suspect. At 1021, Niggemeyer found the gunman with a hostage in a headlock and a gun pointed at him. And it appeared that he was about to kill his hostage uh, when the officer uh, basically put an end to it. Officer Niggemeyer didn't have time to waste. In less than a minute, the officer shot the suspect, Nathan Gale. We have four fatalities from the gunman and the gunman makes five. Quick thinking by the hostage gave the officer a few seconds to shoot. The hostage uh, was able to help us out uh, uh, as far as uh, getting out of the way somewhat. The, uh, the officer took advantage of that. Dimebag Darrell's last and final words that he ever spoke was Van Halen. You see, that was the term that Dime and Vinnie Paul would always say to one another before walking out on stage when they were ready to, and I quote from Vinnie Paul, let it all hang out. 
Nathan Gale shot and killed a total of four people that night. He killed Dimebag, of course. 23-year-old Nathan Bray, who was a brave audience member that heroically ran up to help Dimebag. He also killed Arosa Villa employee, 29-year-old Aaron Hawk, and 40-year-old Jeff Mayhem Thompson, who was part of the Damage Plan's entourage. A nurse from the crowd, 28-year-old Mindy Reese, administered CPR to the two surviving victims until the paramedics arrived, thus saving their lives. Gale fired 15 shots that night, five into Dimebag Daryl and 10 at audience members and stage crew. Officer Niggermeyer, however, only fired one. Remember how I told you it was very ironic that one of the bands that was playing that night was called 12 Gauge. Well, it was a police-issued 12 Gauge shotgun that literally took Gale's head off of his body. One of the fans of the show could be heard on the video at the scene yelling, Dude, his head is gone. As you'd probably guess, many, many big names in the music industry showed up at Dimebag's funeral. One of those that attended was Eddie Van Halen. As he shared the podium and drank shots of liquor with Zach Wilde, he played a voicemail off of his phone that Dimebag had left, thanking him for one of the best nights of his life, which was the night that he got to meet and hang out with his lifelong idol, Eddie Van Halen. Eddie then gave his bumblebee guitar to Dimebag's longtime girlfriend, Rita Haney so she could bury it with Dimebag. Eddie wanted to put it into the coffin himself, but as he was walking up, Eddie told Rita that he just couldn't see Dime like that. He stated to her that he wanted to remember Dimebag the way that he was the night that he met him. The guitar Eddie Van Halen buried with Dimebag was the original yellow, black and white striped guitar that is pictured on the back of Van Halen 2. Rita Haney was just hoping to buy a guitar from Eddie and asked him if he could just give her a knockoff of the Bumblebee guitar, which was Dime's favorite out of Eddie's huge collection. And not only did Eddie not charge her a penny and show up at the funeral, but he literally gave her the original guitar that Dime loved so much. He, t he told her he told her that an original deserves an original. I'm literally telling this story with tears in my eyes. I, I apologize. Because like I said, this is a hard fucking story for me. Since Dimebag's death, both his brother Vinnie Paul and Eddie Van Halen have both passed away and are likely jamming with Dimebag at this very moment. I can only imagine. We call Dimebag the cowboy from hell, but we all know that he's now a cowboy in heaven. Rocking the fuck out. I'm going to leave you with a little clip from Vince Neil and Nikki Six of Motley Crue talking about this incident. And then I'm going to play you that song that started Dimebag's legacy off in 1990. Cowboys from hell. 
And then we have a discussion with one of my my good friends, Steve Ashton, who is very knowledgeable in music, and it should be a very interesting discussion. I hope you follow me on IG and Facebook, and if you like the show, or if you don't, please leave a review. I'm not afraid to hear bad things if you don't like the show. Enjoy your holidays, please. And I'll be back with a new episode soon. Until then, always remember, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that they're not out to get you. Because they are. They're always out to get you. Trust me. Members of the 80s heavy metal band Motley Crue knew one of the victims of last night's shooting very well. And today they spoke out about their friend and fellow rocker Daryl Abbott. Motley Crue will soon be launching a tour of its own. Band members say violence like last night's shooting doesn't only hurt one band, it has an effect on all of rock and roll. You know, it's a sad thing when you're probably going to go into a nightclub, you know, and, and have to go through a metal detector. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's sad. Um, it takes the fun out of going uh, to go in to go and have a good time. This is a this is where this stuff's not supposed to happen. Not when you're making music.
Okay, so we are back with the discussion here. I, I'm going to call my friend Steve Ashton, and uh, it might take a second for me to actually dial it in. I don't know how it's going to sound. I'm trying something different this time, as I always do with this shit. So let's give him a call and see if I can dial this in. And this is not pre-scripted. Holy. Yeah. Okay, let me let me get your level here. When I was listening to the podcast, and I was like, oh, man, shit, this is going to be... It's, it's so cool to actually listen to it before it's actually out. <laughs> it, it, is, uh, it, it is a little treat. I get to hear it, too. It, it's, it's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got I to gotta listen to it before anybody else, and then I got to sit there and listen to it 15,000 times. All right, I think I, I think I got this sounding pretty decent. Um, just try to keep your same levels of what you're talking and stuff. And, you know, most people, they pull all this shit out before they let people hear it. But I just literally call you after I start recording. So we've already been yeah. recording. I'm not going to cut any of this shit out. Okay, so as far as... Now, when I called you earlier, got your number and stuff like that, like one of the main things we were talking about is like actually what happened when Dime actually being shot... Well, what was your first reaction? Did you believe that it was true, or did you did you think that oh, this is some kind of fucking bullshit thing? Hi, yeah, man. To be honest, when I I, I thought I was like I, I didn't believe it because I was just like my a coworker's son was just like yeah, t- t- did you hear? Because he knew I love Pantera, and I was like, nah, bro. He's a, he, like he's like it was like a, he's like a teenager, so I'm like I'm like nah, bro. He doesn't know. He doesn't pay attention, and I right. don't know. You know, I have, you know, I, I know all the stuff. I listen to the stuff I get. And sure enough, I, I was after debating for a couple minutes, I looked at my phone and my phone was on the uh, silent. And I, there was a bunch of missed texts and phone calls from uh, friends of mine. It turned out they were trying to tell me. And I was like, ah, I was so devastated. I was like, dude. Yeah. I was like, it was one of those times I had a chance to, ne- one of those bands I never got to see live. I got to see them at the Cow Palace. Uh, they opened up for Rob, I, I can't remember if Rob Zombie opened up for them or if they opened up for Rob Zombie, but it was Pantera and Rob Zombie. And I was, I was in my early 20s, so this was like, this was probably right around the Southern Treadkill, uh, um, what, what was that album called? Oh, f- uh, Far Beyond Driven. Far Beyond Driven. I'm pretty sure that that, yeah. that album had just came out. So that probably came out around 2000. It, it yeah. wasn't, it was, that was one of their last records, right? Before, before no, Time it, Got Shot. No, yeah, no, that was their, uh, that was their third, al- no, that was the third album because the Cowboys from Hell, then Vulgar Display, then Far, uh, then Far Beyond Driven, then I believe it was Southern Tread Kill, then that's when they went all with the, uh, that 101 Proof Live, I think is when they, I think that's where they had Cemetery, no, Cemetery Gates was on Far Beyond Driven, they released a live version on that album. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever even heard that one. What album are you I talking heard, about? I was sitting here waiting for you to call me and I ended up just downloading it on my phone. I'm like, well, now I gotta have it. What, what album? Uh, Southern Treadkill. Oh yeah, that album's, it, it's fucking amazing. Yeah, it, it's a little, it's a little less commercial than a oh, lot yeah. of the other albums, which, which I like. And like I said, I mean, my favorite song from them all the time. And, you know, if you listen to the episode, which obviously people are hearing this, they listen to the yeah. episode, uh, Drag the Waters. I mean, when I first like got that record and I listened to that first song and I'm like, this is like heavier, like just, it's, it's different than the other stuff, which I, I love all the Pantera stuff. I mean, I don't think Dimebag ever did anything, including with Damage Plan, that I wasn't like, wow, that's fucking awesome. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's it's all good, but so, something about that Southern Treadkill, Treadkill uh, record, I just really, really loved. i say, like, oh, just a library of stuff, like, I can just jump from, like, Pantera to Janis Joplin to the Sex Pistols to Johnny Cash 
to, you know, the cream to freaking Metallica, you know, you just, you know, just jump around the, the gamut. And that's where most your I want to say not your snobby elitist, your typical what people would say your your typical metalhead or rock hard rock fan is like it's got to be fast 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 fast. It's like if you want every single out of the song to sound like you know Cowboys from Hell, at what point are you going to get tired of Cowboys? Yeah, from you hell? Ha- you have to reinvent yourself, and uh, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of that too. I mean, that's the reason why I was talking so much shit on the. The, the motherfucking, like, uh, I, I mean, okay, I, I, I wouldn't say that just like that. hipsters, that it's just hipsters, but I mean, like, a lot of people are so, well, that that's considered, uh, you know, fucking tools considered this. This is real death oh, metal. This is this, is this. you know what? It's, people ask me what kind of music that I like, I mean, even though that I'm, like, more in the country these days as far as singing. I don't really listen to country. I just, I just write it and I fucking sing it. But it's like, people ask me what kind of music I like, and I'm like, I like good music. And I was it, just thinking the same thing. I was like, I like music. If it makes you know? me, if it makes me feel something, then that's the shit that I want to hear. I don't give a fuck about your genres. I don't, I don't care about. Oh, this is all I listen to, or whatever. I mean, it's like movies. It's like, do you only watch horror movies? Do you only watch chick flicks? Do you only watch fucking porn? You know, I right. mean, it's like you, there's a time and a place for everything. You know, including porn. It's, so it's, it's become <laughs> trendy to uh, to be like, oh, I. Oh, it's so good with music. I know everything. It's like, okay, well, do you know about this? Uh, you know me. Like knowing so many friends that are and that are musicians and artists and stuff like that. I can't play an instrument to save my life, but I know I see with my own eyes with people in the studios, the jamming, practice shows, prep work, and yeah, it goes back to your talk about like you know the Pantera, the Drag the Waters. You can. Not everything's gonna be fast, 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 but it's like you could go into that groove. Like I'm listening to Dragon Wars, you just hear that groove. It's yeah, it's boring. not, it's you know not I mean? quick. It's, it's not it's fast. It's got the heaviness, but it's like, oh, it's not fast like Cowboys from Hell. They do have you some know? fast parts in there. I mean, Vinny yeah. was doing some double bass and stuff on there. And then as far as like, what where music is, is, it's almost better if you don't play an instrument, and you don't have any biasness, and because. I don't know. I've always made music and wrote songs for myself, and I've never really given a fuck what other people have thought. And if other people like it, that's great. But a lot of people, while they're writing songs, are like, oh, you know, this is our demographic. You know, that's the first thing whenever you're with a label. I've been with, with labels before. A lot of musicians have. And the first thing they want to know, what's your demographic? What What is your target audience and stuff? It's like, I don't fucking know. You know, I, I am writing this album because this is my life, and this is I've lived through this shit, and... I don't know if people that are younger are going to get some of the songs. If you want me to write a song that's a bubblegum fucking Britney Spears song, I guess I could try it if you're going to pay me enough, but I'm not going to put my name on it and fucking fuck it all up with that, you know? That, that That's the big difference like that. Like what you just said is, is like, yeah, you could easily go do those bubblegum things, but you can't, what you write for yourself and if people like it, it's cool. And then if, like, if you try to do that, it you, it doesn't have the same soul to it. No, it doesn't have the, that vibe. Like I, like I said, it's I, like a, like our buddy Dave asked you. Like I was talking to him. He's playing. The, he's doing a solo album, and he was, and he's just, he's doing it for himself. But it's like you know his voice, and like he said, is you listen to his those certain types of songs or certain this whatever. And you know, I'm not trying to act like I'm a, a big deal or anything. But when I have a lot of friends that like you will ask me for their my opinion because like you know, like I said, is I don't necessarily play music or anything like that, but. I've been around it and absorb all kinds of stuff that I could just sit there and just with my eyes closed and just, I just, all I need is that one hook, that one note, that uh, certain vocal style, like Dave's, he got that grassy voice. And then when you do a, a soulful, like 
blues song and you could just it brings out that soul in the song you're like so like it goes back to your point where you do what you love and what you're doing if people jump on cool and then that just becomes infectious and then you know well you know me and dave were actually in a, in a band called sick for several years together we like played fucking probably three four hundred shows together so i i love dave and he actually i mean you you have to know this but to our listeners uh dave Askew actually wrote a single for ace freely from kiss uh, yep. called, called outer awesome. space yeah no i know what you're talking it was about, on guitar too. hero and shit and uh he didn't get much money for it which kind of sucks but he didn't get what it was what it was worth but he's redoing that song on this record so you'll be able to hear that song and then uh jesse farnsworth that was in our band he yep. he actually got the tour with with Newstead right. for a couple years. Oh yeah, he's doing a new album, a new band. Uh, I believe it's called the Underlords or something like that. They got yeah. something coming out, I guess, in the next few months. I believe. Well, Rabbit Hole Studios, where I just re- I just recorded a song called Moonshine Is the Truth, but they they actually. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. I I think I remember. Oh, I know because I remember I looked them up. We'll have to, no, we'll yeah. have to let it go, but yeah. So you're you're a gun enthusiast. Um, what do you think that he chose the the Beretta, being that he was a Marine? His mom got him a Beretta. I've never had a Beretta. I've only had Smith and Wessons, and I've only I've had shot one. It's gosh, I, I'm not so super detailed on Berettas. Because uh, not that I want to talk about the gun that killed one of my fucking idols, but I mean, yeah, I'm just saying that this guy had this plan for a very long time, and he also obviously knew a lot about guns and stuff. So I'm just wondering, is there something about that about that that particular like model of nine millimeter Beretta that has like cool. some special clips or something like that because yeah, he was obviously now, wanting to kill know, a lot of people. Some some military uh, nine millimeters the most common commonly used round and with the Beretta it could be more of a you know certain uh, I want to say most some militaries uh, have like certain almost like designated or standard gun right right you know that makes sense. that are issued it could be a, it could be just an issue that maybe you know you could switch before maybe it was just something you know some you know i i have a glock 19 and you go from a glock 19 and i switched to my uh spring but my 1911 that's that sucker just uh shoots nice and smooth yeah so that's what i was wondering if there was like, something you know, that so would it could, it could be a, a personal choice with the guy you know he had just been he could have been using it well his mom not. bought it his mom bought it for him but i'm just wondering like if that if that if that gun like holds a bigger clip or anything like that because he fired off 15 rounds which i'm guessing he must have had two clips and unless he well, had like some crazy they, they modified could have, clip. They probably had well there is you know it's not get onto a, a tangent about it but there's a lot of like loop like people say there's loopholes with the extended magazines or large high capacity magazines there could have been one like an aftermarket thing where he could have had a extended clip or something like that you know and, and those, this was a this was in ohio so we don't have a gavin the, we don't have a gavin newsom in ohio so maybe you know yeah, they, maybe they do it, have it, a lot it, more they actually have more freedom <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah exactly so i yeah i was just i was just wondering about that because i thought that was kind of kind of strange that he was able to fire off uh 15 15 rounds and uh also you know the 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 cop. I, I didn't mention this in the uh, in actual episode, but uh, Niggermeyer, and that is his name, by the way. So if anybody, yeah, listening- when I heard that, I thought I did a double take. I was like, wait, wait, and then I heard the interview with the lady. I go, okay, no, she said too. No, his his, <laughs> his like, name is a different enunciation or something like that. There is no other way to say his name. It's N I G G E R M E Y E R. 
I mean, you could call it Negermeyer if you wanted to, but I mean, it's basically Negermeyer. It's 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 one yeah. word. It's not a racial slang. The guy was a white guy, and uh, that was his name. But I mean, I just thought that it was fascinating that he walked into that fucking club by himself, walked up to the stage with a 12-gauge shotgun, and blew that fucker's head right off of his shoulders. I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty ballsy. You know, first of all, just to walk into the club knowing that there's a, an active shooter by yourself. And another fun fact about this is this this real fast before before you talk. Um yeah. he he actually he actually quit the law enforcement right after the show. It fucked him up. Like he got PTSD and stuff and that that was one thing I wanted to touch on, but I wanted to keep the episode kind of short and uh but but no, uh, his name is James D. Niggermeyer, and he, he literally he literally quit law enforcement. He he retired right after that, and he was not older. He just it fucked him all up. So this this situation oh, was I, it I fucked up a lot that. of people. You know. Yeah, for, I always I always the when I heard about a shooting, I I always like mix it up. Maybe it's just like there was so many different sh- uh, like sh- like famous people or shootings that have happened you know, since the 80s or whatever, from actresses to musicians to football players or celebrities or whatever. But it's like I always thought that uh, a security guard had got killed or was a cop had got... Didn't the, didn't the it was a, that... There was a security guard that got killed, yes. There, the, okay, uh, okay, okay. there was an entourage okay. that was actually traveling with Damage Plan. Um, his name was something Mayhem Thompson. And then there was an employee of, of the uh, the bar... And then um, there was just somebody from the audience, and obviously Dimebag, and then uh, yeah. and then the uh, Nathan Gale was was five, and um, you know when I first went into this, and I, I I knew that Nathan Gale was was the guy that killed Dimebag. I mean, I, I I've studied I, I study murder. I you know I write research papers and shit on him. I'm a graduate student right now, so I I write on murder all fucking day long, and it's like I I knew that he had mental illness, but I didn't know that it was so bad. So I went into this doing the research with this because I've been researching this for a good month. And uh, like, I, I really hated the guy. And towards the end, it's like, do I still hate him? Fuck yeah. I mean, my God, he killed Dimebag Daryl for Christ's sake. It's yeah. like, but but I've, I've, I understand that he was completely delusional and out of his fucking mind. And what I don't understand is why nobody actually... I mean, it's not like you could just go tackle the guy and say, hey, you're crazy, you're coming with me. But I mean, it's like nobody tipped off the police. And like I said, this happened, um, when, like I said in the episode, literally eight months before that in Cincinnati, that same fucking Nathan Gale ran up on stage screaming a bunch of shit about Pantera destroying damage plans uh, equipment i could not find exactly what he destroyed but he did a lot of fucking damage i mean like he was arrested and everything and they just let it go because you know obviously they're not like gonna sit there and, and try to put him in jail because it ain't gonna do any fucking good they would just have to go back to cincinnati to to take care of the court proceedings and shit like that but yeah i mean it was it, it seems like after that happened like maybe he could have been on a watch list or something i i don't know i mean he he was first of all why the fuck was he deployed i mean not not deployed but literally uh what, what's it called when you're kicked out of the marines I'm, oh i'm I having discharge. 
Yeah, what, what, discharged. by the way, for anybody listening to this, it's literally three in the fucking morning on Christmas Eve and me and Steve are doing this because I, I wanted to get this out on Christmas. So he was nice enough to do it at three in the morning because it was the only time I had time. So my brain's a little fucked up right now. But uh, yeah, so he was discharged. And so they're saying that he can't be a Marine because he's fucking crazy because he's got... And I don't like to use the term crazy, excuse me. I, I, he had a mental illness, and he was schizophrenic, paranoid schizophrenic. Why the fuck didn't they pull his guns? Yeah, well, that, 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 there's, this whole, this, when people talk about mental health, there's, and then you talk about guns, they're all different issues, they intertwine a little bit, but there's so much under, like, stigmatism applied to people with mental, there's, like, misdiagnosis people, like, you, you know, you used to have, it used to be, like, you're hyper, but then you have ADHD, and then they throw people all these medications, you know, you have this, you have this, you have this, then there's such, like, you know, guys, typically, it's stereotypical, like, guys, like, you know, the suicide rates among people, guys are, like, Men are three times, or like, let's say there's like 100 people that commit suicide. 90 of them are men. Oh, yeah. And, and, and with and guns, guys, almost 100% are men. Feelings or something like that. Then there's people go seek, you know, basic, you know, mental health. And then there's over drugs and the opioids and all the drugs and this, violence, family, home life. There's all stuff intertwines a little bit. But there's these red flags that just pop up in people. And you're like, you knew this guy was crazy. You grew this, and they go, well, well, he probably already had the guns, you know, obviously being in the military and he, stuff he, like that. So, he did already but, have the guns, yes. He, yeah, he so, definitely went already. But pro- having a shotgun, it's like his, his mom bought him this gun. Yeah, like, you know, they're warning signs. You can see, like, you know, something's like, oh, he's really not, you know, he could not be at one hand having a bad temper, but if he's like, you know, next you know, you're seeing these kicking animals or some shit, like, you know, some psychopaths, fucking precursors, you're like, so this guy's crazy. You see him attacking people, and you know he's armed. So you know something's not right. Right. You know somebody, a family member, a clo- if he had close friends, I've never you know know. But you know those things, all those different scenarios like work out where you know because you, you, like me, you'd be like you're angry, like man, I hate this motherfucker. I was like yeah, but he's not well. But like you're more mad the fact that like somebody somewhere at some point. Said, you know what, something's wrong, but then it, it boils down to, ah, it's not my problem. I'm going to go home and go watch it and go watch porn. Exactly. And and we're all kind of guilty of that. I mean, yeah. you know, we, we can all sidetrack ourselves with things because there's so many things to sidetrack ourselves. But w- one thing that I did say in the episode that, that makes a lot of sense for, for uh, anybody that knows somebody that is schizophrenic, especially paranoid schizophrenia, there there is no cure for it. You do not get cured if you, if that part of your brain is is doing that, and you are diagnosed by a doctor that knows what the fuck he's talking about, and you got schizophrenia, you should probably just hand over your guns because you don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna have delusions or not, and you don't know if you're gonna kill your own kids, you don't know if you're gonna kill your own mom. I mean, well, thing, things can fucking that, happen. In that instance, there's there's laws. I didn't mean to tell you out, but there's laws that are like that. This well, especially I, I, when I say laws, but in general, but especially in California, they're in like in New York and they, these, they're trying to pass certain laws where like right now, like if you try to go get a gun, you're like, you know, they'll run a background check. They're going to like you fill in your questionnaire and stuff like that. You'd be like, uh, it's like a pre-test type thing, whatever. If you're on any medications, you're on this, you want to get that, you know, like if you're on like you've got mental things you're gonna fail your background check if you're gonna if you already own guns they're 
there's I want to say there's like not uh, what's the word I'm thinking of uh uh fail safes to catch stuff but you know in every you know type of you know bureaucracy just freaking uh people fall through the cracks like I said is people don't want to report stuff yeah and, and he was stuff. a marine so he was actually trained it just I I don't know I mean I I I have guns I I definitely am not a fucking a person that's anti-guns, like you should go take people's guns. But I, I do believe that if you are diagnosed with especially paranoid schizophrenia, you should not have a fucking gun. Oh, no. The, the, you just, you just should it, not. I'm not. I'm not 100% sure, but I am almost like positive that, especially like speaking for California, that their their guns are supposed to be taken away. Or that's when that's when they, you know, the term where they, uh, I almost said liberals, or when they want to like, uh, red flag laws. Those are like that's the perfect example of. Yeah, like, and I'm not know, saying if you're like, manic report, depressive, like, this person's unwell, and then they would send somebody to do a mental health check, and then you would you uh, get like say a court date. They would take your guns and like okay, we're gonna hold on to these till you see a judge, psychiatrist, blah blah blah, whatever. Or you, or you could sign them over to a family member or something like that. Yeah, and they could yeah, lock them up they, for you, yeah, and then maybe you could still go to the shooting range or something, but you shouldn't have access to them because I. I mean, I've I've studied I, I'm I'm studying right now forensic psychology and criminology. That's what I'm getting my master's in, and and I know a lot about psychology. And I know that if you are diagnosed with with uh, paranoid schizophrenia, you are at times going to be delusional. You are literally going to lose track of reality. In fact, uh, being schizophrenic in general, there's different kinds of of schizophrenia. There's catatonic. There's there's like about seven or eight different different major kinds of schizophrenia besides paranoid and. And all of them have to do with delusional perception of reality. So you you will lose your shit at, at times if you're a schizophrenia. And I mean, if you're schizophrenic and like I said before, there's no fucking cure. You're not going to be cured yeah. for it. At least at least not right now. We have no cure for it. And that's what's scary is I, I, when you said seven, I, and I you hear the different terms and sometimes, you know, you, you, you tend to like, at least from for myself, like I was this schizophrenia, this this that you you tend to like like think of like them as the same because it sounds similar. You're like, oh, there's like when you said seven, I'm like seven. There, there's 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 like there's at least three, five. Eight, I know four, that. Yeah. You know, but the, the medication paranoid is the is the most yeah. is the most prevalent out of all of them. Um, paranoid most most people that are that are uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia. But anyway, enough about about him. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I really think that he was just a victim of, of, of that. I don't think that he had anything against Steinbeck. I mean, he was such a big fan of... I mean, towards the end, obviously, he fucking did. He shot Dimebag five times, unfortunately. But, I mean, like, he was a Pantera fan, and he was just delusional. Just like the guy that shot John Lennon. You know, just yeah. that's the reason why I threw that clip in there. Because that guy that shot John Lennon supposedly read The Catcher in the Rye and decided to shoot John Lennon. Because he was a huge fan of John Lennon, and he thought that John Lennon should die. And to this day, we really don't know exactly what the correlation between the catcher and the rye and that guy that shot John Lennon, which his name is escaping me right now. But uh, he shot John Lennon, like, literally, I think it was 24 years be right, right before that. So it, it, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it, it's really crazy how people can go from loving somebody and admiring them and idolizing them to, to literally wanting to fucking kill them. And we see that... All the time with with spouses, you know, with domestic oh, yeah. with domestic abuse. 
So you, when you and you know where you struck by it's like there was a I, I'm thinking of like you know the they they love them so much it's like they don't understand like some it's maybe it's that they have a mental breakdown maybe it's short term judgment it's like you don't realize that just because Pantera's no more doesn't mean you can't still enjoy what and, Pantera had put out and you like that still, news clip said it said. You know, that we all could have hoped that they would have gotten back together someday. You know, we, yeah. we know we know that Dimebag and Phil loved each other. They just were having a fucking tiff. I mean, for for Christ's sake, even Guns N' Roses played again. You know, right? and how many times did they say that wouldn't that wouldn't happen? So, I mean, like, oh, yeah. to take his life when he was only 38 years old, I mean, that guy could have been making music. He could have ended up like Kiss. He could have still been making music when he was 75 years old. You know, it's like Gene Simmons is 72. He's still playing. You know, it's, it's, it's just like it's so tragic because, I mean, D- Dimebag, I mean, first of all, you have Eddie Van Halen show up to your, your funeral and give you one of his main guitars that he recorded a whole album with. I mean, if that isn't respect, what the fuck is? I mean, it's like that guy was so loved, so treasured, so cherished, so respected. And it's just like, it's, it's so fucked up that somebody that was diagnosed with a mental illness was able to get into a club, infiltrate the club, and jump on stage and do that. You know, it's like the clip that I played it at the end with Motley Crue with uh, Nikki Six and, and Vince Neil talking. It's like literally the reason why I played that clip is because I I loved that clip out of the millions of clips that I could have played because they're they're literally saying this isn't just about dime. This is about music in general. How the fuck can somebody go up on stage and just shoot somebody because they broke up in a band. You know, that that affects every single person that gets on a stage, whether you're a, a comedian or a fucking actor or somebody on Broadway or a singer or a guitarist. It affects all of us. Yeah, it's like, and we don't, and social media wasn't really relevant back then too. So no, like, 2004. Oh, wait, news and information and stuff like that, entertainment. I mean, you have your whole life in, in your hand in a phone. You got everything there. You want a quick answer? Google, boom. You want to mail? YouTube, iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. It's right there in a matter of a couple of clicks. So back then, you know, you know, if Pantera, like, oh, you get your news, you're you're listening to the radio. Yeah, you know? seventeen years ago. I mean, it seems it seems like seven. When you say seventeen years, it doesn't mean shit. But when you really look at two thousand four to two thousand twenty one. We live in a completely different society than we did 17 years ago. It's so much more fast-paced and so much technological just advancement and like entertainment and, 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 and music and whatnot. It's just like it seems like that 17 years is actually 30 years. Yeah. So what's your favorite Pantera song of all of all, Ooh, like all, I, all time? You know it, it, it was time, rough for me too to pick Drag the Waters because oh, I love okay. so many of their songs. It, it, you know, it... it, it if I have to go right off the bat, like just cold turkey, take one, I would say walk. Yeah. Um, it, it really, it, sometimes there's moods that I'm in where, you know, you're just in a, your go-to, I'm pissed off. I'm going to listen to some Primal Concrete Sledge or Domination. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You walk is one that I always teach like my that. students. You want to throw in some freaking uh, uh, broke, unbroken or five minutes alone or something like that, you know, or you want some chill, then put on some Planet Caravan, you know? 
or hollow or and like that's you know? literally besides cemetery gates is like literally their only slow song if i if i remember right yeah you know what i it's hard yeah you know it's not like you were gonna slow. see pantera on a on an mtv unplugged or anything <laughs> <laughs> you know what that that'd be interesting to to hear it, it really, it really would, and it, and it's so fucking sad, and it, and it's so sad that not only that Dime's dead, but also that that Vinny's dead. I mean, literally oh, half of Pantera I, is I, dead. I've, I was actually, I met Vinny a few times in the. Uh, I actually met him again. I've met him a few times. I met him in Hollywood um, at at the, uh, at the Rainbow. I was. Uh, me and my friend went to go see uh, Hell Yeah. It was on their first tour. They were playing. Oh with yeah, them. yeah, with, with the singer from Mudvayne. Yeah. Yeah, with Chad Gray. Uh, they were playing with uh, Otep, Blood Simple, and I think that was it. But I did sound for we, Otep. That chick is fucking nuts. Oh, she's she's a <laughs> she's batshit crazy. She she is really liberal. And, 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 yeah. You know, just and she's like four foot five, and I'm like this bitch is crazy. Oh no, and she could scream like she's fucking ten feet tall and bulletproof. She don't give a fuck. She will tell you hey, the way they, it is. They but were that... amazing live though on that album they had at the time. Oh, they're but, a gr- uh, they're a great band. She's she's I, a great singer. I had I had sat there with uh, me and my friend. We were coming out of the, you know we always go to the Rainbow and sit in the Guns and Roses booth and have I saw, lunch or dinner. I saw Slipknot at the at the Rainbow like right after they came out with their first record. There was barely like 500 people there and it was one of the best shows i ever seen a chick broke her neck and for anybody listening a lot of my listeners for this show is is not in california believe it or not it's actually mostly like southern states but um uh the rainbow is in fresno california where i grew up where steve grew up so uh it it was it was it was a pretty dope ass show it was it, it was very intense and they were still making a name for themselves so they 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 hit that shit hard. It was was it was that off was the that, hook. A, that was oh that was the show I met I I was thinking like uh they were supposed to be playing the like the fairgrounds or something but it was it was Rainbow. literally twenty two I believe twenty two twenty three years ago. I I had a I had a chance to go to that show and I didn't because when I first heard them I was like you know being a fan of music it's like the radio tends to play that one song over and over ten thousand times it's exactly not like, you know, iTunes well it's called a campaign day. so that's the, yeah. the radio stations are told to do that like the record labels pay everything yeah, you hear on FM stuff. radio is is paid for these days everything is paid for so. But yeah. but I still remember when they started it off. They did this Loretta Lynn song, and it said one part like it sounded like it said Satan when she was singing, and it, and then it just like looped it Satan, Satan, oh, yeah, Satan. Yeah. And then of course all the pentagrams come out over the whole stage, and they come out just flying out, fucking tearing up the whole stage. It was just so badass. Like I don't give a fuck what people think about Slipknot or whatever, but. Corey Taylor is a great singer, and they are amazing live. So if you've never oh, seen, I've seen Slipknot, I've seen a bunch. Yeah, and they a never fucking ago. disappoint. They're they're great. You know, it, it, it's when when you see that I had seen them back in San Jose a couple years a year and a half ago, right before the BS COVID crap uh, hit. I saw them on a uh, what you call it? Uh, God, what's it? They're not fest. Yeah, the road show. They yeah. had Bolt Beat on there, and Behemoth, and uh, oh god, who else was on there? Uh, yeah, it was. And Bolt Beat's a great band. That literally, I, I will, I will tell everybody that's listening right now. Steve was like the person that that turned me on the Volbeat, and you know when they were nobody. You've been listening to them forever. Oh, Banker and uh, G from uh, Hate Effects. They they were the ones who got me into that. Especially G, he was a. Uh, 
he'd be playing them. I remember he, I'd seen a video of them, and then it's just like, the best way to describe them. It's it's Elvis metal. It's like Metallica meets Elvis Presley. It is completely different, Cash. and the guy's voice is like you can actually understand everything. But like it's it's yeah, I I, I love it, and uh, and they're from Denmark too. So that's yeah, they're not you know, even from America. Yeah. Yeah, it's I still can't get that. in the ghost though. I know, What's I, know, that? I, I still can't get in the ghost. You know, I, I G them. I say G and uh, Sean Banker. They got me into that too. Like I, no, I a lot of people them love them, and I know that I know that you like them too. But I just I can't get into that band. I don't know. I've listened to them and listened to them. I tried to. Have you listened to the newer stuff or the older stuff? Uh, I just bring it up like on iTunes. I brought it up a couple times at the gym, and I'm just like, oh, I just can't get into it. They look cool, but no. <laughs> You listen to their first, like, their independent stuff, the, the best. Like, you want to see, like, quality sound-wise with heavy grooves and vocals. It's off their, uh, I forget the name of the album, but it's the one with the song Majesties on it. I believe it's their third or fourth album. Their earlier album, they have, like, an EP and then two uh, uh, lesser-known albums. Those are, like, their best. The, the sound, you get that, you have that mystique and the... They have a, these different era. The singer goes through these transformations. It's Papa the Emerald, whatever, one, two, three, four, whatever. And then they have a cart, you know. The newer stuff, once they, like, after their last, their two, three albums, the EPs or whatever it was, those have become, like, more, the, the, the singer has, has I guess, these architectural plans or whatever, like, these grand scheme of, like, storytelling. So it's going to be, like, this is, like, their last album was, like, a mixture of, like, goth meets 80s. It's a song called Dance Macabre. It's like you listen to Sounds that a little low, but like, like ICP, kind of like the way they have their Joker cards and stuff like that, which I, I think okay. is pretty cool. I, I'm a huge ICP fan. I, li I like them. I, I don't know why. It's my guilty pleasure. I don't really, you know, like wear ICP gear or anything like that. I've been, I don't consider myself a juggalo. I don't know. I think I'm a little old to be, but. I'm actually younger than them, so I guess I'm not too old to be. But I, I like ICP a lot. They're, they're they're pretty good. But they they like all their albums have a purpose and stuff from what they say and shit like that. So it's kind of kind of yeah. cool. It, well, uh, oh, I I got off topic. But I was telling you about uh, Vinnie Paul. I ran into him. This was the first time I met him. Like he was one of those. You know, it's the whole Wayne's World thing where you see like me. And, there's nobody in the in the Rainbow Bar Bar Rainbow Bar and Grill in Hollywood. We're on the Sunset Strip. We're sitting there. It's middle of the afternoon on like a Thursday or a Friday or wherever it was. Ain't nobody in the joint. And then we're just literally, we've been to Hollywood like six, seven times previous months, seeing friends on tour, bands, whatever, you name it. We're sitting there, we're like rushing to eat to like, okay, let's just go and just go mob around Hollywood, tell the show. And, and shit you not, in walks Vinnie Paul and like six, seven of his bodyguards and roadie crew and whatnot. And we were just like, my friend at the time, let's say I'm like, 26 27 my friend's like 22 so she's not young young but she's like you know at the time like you know of pantera but you don't know pantera you know right, what i'm saying right, right and we were like we were sitting like all of a sudden we were rushed sitting there we're not trying to we're like slowly eating now like we want to be those guys we want to go over and say we go like oh hi hi like this and we but we don't want to be those guys that bug them and then we meant so i know we mentioned it to the the waiter and now i doubt we're like oh man we're we, we don't want to bug him and I, I'm not joking, if, uh, hand of God, we look over, the guy had, like, a few minutes later, the guy walked over, at the waiter was saying something like that, and Vinny Paul looked over at us tonight and gestured us, like, hey, come over. And we're like, uh, 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 we're like, we're so that not, story we're that I put, shit, you know, that <laughs> story that I put in the in the show about uh, about that guy in McDonald's and stuff. I mean, that's that's real shit. That's the way you know? that those guys were. Yeah, it, he just, he, that 
hands down the nicest rock star I've ever, and I've met a ton. And and I just he was we sat there we took, he took autograph. Uh, I ended up getting an autograph drums ahead from that night, um, which I still have to this day, and got to talk with him for like good five, 10, 15 minutes, you know, and whatnot, and let's take pictures, just sat around the booth, just the down to earth nicest guy, and we're like, man, bro, we love you know everything, you know, Pantera, Damage Plans, like that. So we got a little quick, you know, few second conversation about dying bag and stuff like that, and we're like, man, and uh, then I met him of. Uh, like three years ago in Vegas, my best friend was on tour with, uh, he was playing in a band called NVIDIA with uh, the bass player from In This Moment was a singer. My buddy Matt, who played bass in Five Finger Death Punch before, and uh, a couple other guys. I'm like, I'm yeah, I got, I got to open up for Ivan, the the, the singer, um, when he was uh, in Motigrator still. Really? Well, yeah, one of my bands opened up for, for him, uh, my band Immune. Um, oh, no, Scarfist. That was Scarfist, and we 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 got to hang out with Ivan and everything, and they they were real cool guys too. Ivan Ivan's a real cool fucking dude. Yeah, I met the two guitar players after the when uh, Motorgrader played. What's that? What was it? Hairfest, Manfest. That it was in Madeira. It, one of the last. Big it it was here. when we opened up for him. It was at a. It was at a. It was at a big old skating rink. It was like Icelandia or some shit. Yeah, but I, after though, when I seen him in Madeira, the they had the chairs there had a big best man festing, whatever. Motorgrader played that. I, I, they were one of the headliners or something like that. Yeah, and I think that was before Ozfest. The were walking through the crowd, and I ended up getting both their autographs on a ticket stuff that I still have to this day too. And so I have a box of stuff like that. But um, yeah, you you meet these guys, and my buddy I, in Vegas, I got to hang out. My I was like, man, Vinnie Paul's right there. I, I'm all like sending pictures, like I spy Vinnie Paul at the bar. And my buddy at, uh, in the band at the time, he was just like, you want to go talk to him? I go, God, he's busy. I don't want to bug him. Be like, I go, no, nah, dude, he's hell. I go, I know. I've met. And went over and just shot the shit with him like like any old thing. He's just like, hey, come on over. They, they didn't know me from a whole, I mean, you know, met him for a few minutes, like 10 years before, you know, and just like, and we're in Vegas at the bar and he's like, yeah, come over. Having a drink with Vinnie Paul. That no big deal. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's like, like hanging out with Aaron I'm Lewis. I'm like a little schoolgirl. I'm like, oh my god, it's Vinnie Paul. It's Vinnie Paul. Yeah, I got to hang out with Aaron Lewis for a few days in a row, and like, I mean, that guy is like as unrock starish as you can get, but he's very opinionated, you know, completely. Yeah. But like, you you would be in a room with him, and you wouldn't even fucking know that there's like a dude that has a, a couple Grammys sitting next to you. It's like, what the fuck? Like, it's crazy. John Davis is kind of the same way too. John's like really cool down the earth and. You know, it's a, uh, it's 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 really cool. The real ones are they don't act like rock stars. It's the fucking, it's the ones that are all auto tuned and all fake, and other people write their songs and shit that act like fucking dickheads for the most part. Right. They they what what was it? Uh, um. The the oh god, it was like one of the guys in Six Ounce. I think it was Chad had told me back in the day. He's like, yeah, he's suffering from LSD, lead singer disease. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's and the that reason. That's like, the reason why I left the uh, Six Ounce gloves because uh, yeah, me me and Mitch just didn't see eye to eye. But um, I, I I you know they 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 did some big shit after I left. So I'm really really happy for them. And I and I love Mitch to death. We just didn't you know. Yeah. We didn't we didn't mesh together. I wanted to do too much. I wanted to do background vocals and shit like that. But yeah, they were a great band. It was it was sad watching them break up. They broke up yes. I think like about maybe two it, or three years after after I was with them. Yeah, they well they, they like two or three different iterations. It's like after you left and there was a couple other I think they had somebody else come in for a bit and then that's when Darren had come in, Chad came in right around the same time because it was at the hairstock uh like one of those things where 
it was the first time I'd seen six ounce. They were playing at that Madeira like nosedive. Remember nosedive back in the day? Yeah, oh, yeah. I just, Mike I just, Logan, I just Chris bought a Poe, microphone uh, from Mike Logan and, uh, the other day. He works at Guitar Center now. Oh, is he back in Fresno? I thought he was up in. Uh, he was in uh, Sacramento. Um, yeah, but he's he's in Fresno. He's been working in in uh, the Fresno Guitar Center for a while. He's doing oh, good. Shit. He's doing good. I'm, yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't talked to him in forever because I, I, it's like. Uh, Whenever I see or whenever Chris Poe is in town, me, him, and Rob Sokin will all get. We'll usually get together sometimes. Like that. Yeah, Chris sent me a, a screenplay, and being that I've been in grad school for the last semester, I haven't got a chance to sit down and read the whole thing. But he's he's actually writing screenplays and stuff. And I read oh, yeah. the, I read like the oh, yeah. first uh, the, the the first scene, and it's really good. Like he's he's a talented writer. I've been trying to get him on the show, but he. He's just been busy and stuff like that. So hopefully here in the you know in in the future I'll be able to get him on the show and and uh, have the discussion with him. He's a he's a great. You can have a conversation like this. I mean, he's phenomenal. Like we talk about stuff like that. Or oh, he's, he's brilliant. His, he's brilliant. He's yeah. His third novel. I got both his first two. I don't, I think he has a third one coming out or. I think he has the first... second one coming out. I don't, because I, he no, sent no, me he his, has, no, his I first have, book. Has, I have his have first book. The second one came out like three years ago, two years ago. Okay, so yeah, maybe he is. Uh, I, so I don't have his second one. I need to, I need to get that from him. Yeah, I got. Yeah, I got it. Like I, I said, yeah, he's he screenwriter. I remember that's when I said he has a uh, music that screenwriter. His wife's really a uh, good, re- like a reporter for I want to say NBC, like in LA. He ended, yeah. he ended up good. He ended up doing really good for himself. Very, very proud of him. You know, it's like it's like we we grew up in the music scenes and we we watch people get into meth and you know go to prison or die and OD and stuff. And every now and then you'll have somebody that actually does something with their lives. So right, like me, you know, good. I'm doing this podcast. Good, good old Central Valley. <laughs> <laughs> I got like five listeners now. Right now, I got almost uh, there's like about twenty twenty to thirty thousand that are that are actually downloading and that's pretty phenomenal for me especially since i got like 20 fucking instagram followers i don't i don't understand that it's like if you listen to the show every week why don't you just follow me on instagram so i could actually communicate with you and stuff but either way if i didn't know you i i would still would have followed it because it's like it's like you with social media with all these goddamn censorship and like that you never know what you're gonna get you can like it and hit all the bells and all the stuff you want then Sometimes, like you know, you start liking a certain page. Like you know, you click on your your podcast like five times in a, like a, a span of a few days. You're in that algorithm to where you're gonna see it. If you're like, oh hey, I, I wonder when uh, Kenny's gonna drop a new thing, and oh it's been a couple weeks or, or been a month. Oh then next, you know, you don't see the threads anymore. Then it's like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. A- exactly, like, exactly, and that's what's really kind of. I'm, I'm hoping that this one does as good as the last episode on Halloween because literally, I haven't put out an, ep- an episode since fucking Halloween, and it is now. This one's going to come out on Christmas Day, so it's like, yeah. I, but you know, this is my first semester in grad school, and uh, it's been a motherfucker, you know. And plus, yeah. I'm going to grad school three hours away from where I live. Plus, I still play shows and I teach music on the side, so it's like I've I've had a a pretty busy life, and I don't make any money off the podcast. And I'm not saying that, like, oh, I don't give a fuck about it because I don't make any money, but I'm just saying at the same time, it on my hierarchy of things, it's like 
you know, you have you have rent, you have car payments, you have food, and it's right. like after that, when I have time, I'm I, I will do this. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to quit doing this anytime soon. I, I like doing a, this. There's a lot of, that goes into it. Just oh, especially when you do it all by yourself. You just play, you just press press record and then go. It's like no, there's so much editing and like. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. Re- God, researching I alone. On, I would just be like, I get anxiety just thinking about it. <laughs> I was on like, this episode, I literally spent probably 30, 40 hours just on researching and writing fucking notes because you get so many sources. And that's one thing I try to pride myself on that I try to get credible sources, right? So it's like you you can't go to Wikipedia. You can't fucking like go off something that some fucking dickhead just like, oh, this is dickhead.com and this is what he says happened. No, you, you have to go to rolling stone magazine you have to go to fucking the police reports you have to you have to go and you have to get information that is credible and that's one thing that as being like a a graduate student and having you know three college degrees i've i've done that because i know how to research things that are credible so that's what i try to i try to pour into this show is is not the fact that I think I'm educated or smart. I like to put in the fact that I do know how to fucking do research. You know, you put you put in the work. Yeah, yeah. If, if I say that it's if, if if I say that it's a fact, it's a fucking fact. You know. Yeah, and and, and you're and you know how to go. Like remember, we, we grew up in the generation where you we didn't have freaking Google, and even now you want to say Google how with how censorship and how their search result, all this stuff is like, like you said, as you find out as you grow older that some of these. We found we consider news sources or information sources like Rolling Stone that you realize that some of it's not necessarily the whole truth, but you know we know how to go by. Like, we we used to go to the library and look at index cards. You yeah. look up the actual book from the <laughs> yeah. author, and you look up the sources of the footnotes in that, and you you know interviews from the actual witnesses and stuff like that, or the the you know police reports. Like you said, you didn't have like a, a oh let me go with Google or Wikipedia. Like anybody can sense or edit Wikipedia. Yeah, so well, it's like it's like you can go to the, oh Google said that uh, Dimebag was king of France. No, that's not true because you know. Yeah, like even the local news where where Nathan Gale, the guy that shot Dimebag, lived, even a news clip said that he was 23, but his birthday is 100% definitely 1979, September 11th, so you do the fucking math. He was 25 years old. He was not 23 years old, so it's like even the news gets a lot of shit wrong, and... You know, that's just the way it is. You you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. I'm sure there's probably one or two things that I said during this story that wasn't 100% accurate. But as far as what sources say, it was accurate. Because I don't have no reason to make shit up or fabricate or yeah. emphasize or exaggerate. It's just like I'm, I'm trying to put facts. All right, so we're running out of time. I uh, I want to play a song that you, that you want to have me play. So I'm going to ask you what your favorite song is right now. And... We did talk about this earlier. I do not like to say that shit's not scripted when it when it is scripted. I only asked you one question, and you said yeah. that you wanted to hear a, a song from Struggle Jennings. And tell me a little bit about that song, because we didn't really get into that. And tell me about uh, you meeting him, because I know you just got to meet Struggle Jennings just like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, the, the song is uh, called uh, God We Need You Now. It's off his... Uh album trip uh is it uh troubadour of troubled souls it's a song is it's featuring this uh an artist named uh caitlin uh curtis oh my god you it, it, when when i he at the time he would release he's like 
the way he releases music, it's kind of similar to like how Tom McDonough would release. Like he releases like songs on a regular, like just singles. You don't, you don't. Right. Like, oh, and, and you know what? Just... That, a lot of people are starting to do that now. Fuck records because records are yeah. too expensive to record and nobody buys them. Well, like, well, like some, like, you know, like, with, you know, Struggle James, like, he'll, he would be like, you know, he releases a song, you know, he just put it right to, to iTunes or Spotify, whatever, however. You yeah, like, I have seen, like, I have, I've yeah. released a couple singles. In fact, the last yeah. one that I did, I, I released as a single. Like, he, like over the last year, he had like, let's say like every month or every three to four or five weeks, he released a song. You're like, oh, cool, got a new song. And then you're just thinking, you know, he's just releasing songs. And then it turned out it's all on one album, you know, and he, then he released the album. You're like, oh, cool, now I got them all in one spot. But he was releasing, and one day he released that song, you know, he released that song, and I want to say it was almost about a year and a half ago. So right when all this BS COVID stuff's going on, you got all these hippie liberals, people like who basically like, you know, they say they hate it. They're you know, hating on America. They hate, you know, and whether you, you know, hate on people who believe in religion or whatever, you know, they, you like guns. They, they hate you. You know, you like, you don't use certain oh, pronouns. We're so, so fucking divided right now. This, this country, I, I never thought I would be alive to see how, uh, how divided we are on everything. And it's, uh, it's what, it's what's so mind numbingly just, it's just so many people just like Twitter says this. So they take it as gospel, like, so it's on Twitter. So what? That doesn't make it like, oh, it must be true because Facebook said it. It's like, why it it was on like... Murder and Music. It's got to be true. Fucking Joe. Oh, Exo- yeah. Don't listen. To... How about this? Don't listen to Murder and Music because Joe Exotic is going to kill everybody. <laughs> or, you know, I got to look out for that motherfucker now. I'm a good, I'm a good thing that I have a concealed carry because that motherfucker going to be coming for me now. Oh, he, he was, he was pissed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, he's like, I'm gonna get you, motherfucker! I'm gonna come after you and your followers. What the fuck did I do? I, I bet he's even got face tattoos now. I, I I guarantee it. He's in a gang, from what he says. So he's he could have like a swastika on his forehead for all we know. I I, I don't Jesus. know. Oh, just imagine him hanging out with Charles Manson. Shit, Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh, the that's just some just. Oh my god, that's just, that's crazy just thinking about that. But all right, yeah, so but, what, uh, what? I gotta upload this fucking net, this episode right now. So let's let's get this over. Uh, yeah. what, what's the song so, yeah, called again? Uh, so I met Struggle Jennings. I heard this song come on the radio, and I just you listen to the message, and you just you go listen to it. You're listening to him rap, and he's going through this, and you're like, he's a big dude too. Like you know, and he's rela- he's obviously related to Waylon, right? Oh yeah, it's his. Uh, it's his. Uh, that's his grandfather. Okay. Or great grandfather. Now or my father, my father, uh, Michael Keeney Senior, used to hang out. with with Waylon, and he has all kinds of pictures. He used to go to to his Nevada house, so it's so, so weird how like a small world that it is. He, my dad never like played gu- guitar for Waylon or anything like that, but he used to hang out with him. And my dad now plays with uh, not on a regular basis, but he plays with uh, Steppenwolf. So he he just oh, recorded right uh, Jack White. I believe his name is Jack Jack White from Great White. He re- he did the vocals of of the newborn to be wild and they're they're getting ready to release that and stuff like that. Greg, oh, wow. I think it's Greg Bowie, the guitarist. He's he, the original guitarist. There's there's still like three original members of the band, but they're but they use the name Steppenwolf even though the singer is not in it. And my dad gets the jam with them, and you know it's 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 cool. Oh, right on. But but yeah, he used to he he's been in that that circle. He was he used to hang out with Waylon stuff. So Struggle Jennings is Waylon's grandson. That's awesome. Yeah, because what so when I so when you heard this song right and the message behind it and you're just like oh wow you're listening lines you're like it's like 
every line he's like you know in the i guess rapping in the rap uh genre when you start people use the term bars or whatever the, every bar that he's coming out with you're like it's just like my god like it's still a verse he, you'd he, still he, consider he about verse. how like you know why are all these kids being molested but nothing's been happening you know and there's like all of a sudden you're like yeah you know you're like yes it, what's going on with the country to divide this 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 Oh, yeah, have you have you heard Aaron Lewis's new song? Am I the only oh, one? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And that I've... motherfucker, I mean, he smokes two packs of cigarettes a day, and he is still he's still hitting that those high notes, man. And it, oh, it yeah. it's fucking crazy how good how good Aaron is. I just I just love Aaron Lewis to death. Like, oh yeah, he's like, got a new album coming out soon, doesn't he? Yeah, he always does. I mean, that guy keeps busy as fuck. He, you know, <laughs> I believe it's like in the next. I I got the the first two singles. Uh, uh, that are available right now because I know because I remember because when he released that uh, uh, I'm blanking on the damn song. Uh, Am I the only one? Yeah, when he released that, I had a buddy of mine before it like it broke like all over the internet. My buddy sends me that and he goes, "Dude, you will thank me later." And I was yeah, like, oh, it's it's really cool. weird. I just heard it for the first time the other day because I put I put a song on my page on Facebook, my Michael D. Keeney page, and I put a video up. And as soon as that video ended, uh, "Am I the Only One" came on. So that's the only reason why I haven't heard it. And uh, yeah. I, I listened to it, and I was like, "Fuck, he's he's hitting those old school notes that he was hitting when he was in Stained." You know, he had, he's been singing. Like when Sinner came out and a lot of his his uh, latest stuff, like he's he's singing a lot of low end stuff. So on on uh, Am I the Only One? He's he's hitting those fucking those, those high notes again, and it's it's good to hear him sounding good like that. And it's a cool to get because when they came out, there's a uh, it was a the original the, the studio version, but also I believe there's an acoustic version that I got that came with that. Like, it was like a buy one get one free type of track, and you got he does he does a lot of songs like that. Yeah, like yeah. Tangled Up in You. He has an acoustic version and in in a regular stained version of it. And such he he's Aaron Lewis is is the best songwriter in the fucking world, if you ask me. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. Corey Taylor from Slipknot thinks that. A lot of people think that. We there's a lot of us that just think that his songwriting is the shit. Like literally, he actually, you know, actually, it's it's like he's like, well, we guys not talking about you know, Struggle Jennings and then Aaron Lewis. Aaron Lewis actually does a song on uh, one of uh, Struggle Jennings. Uh, uh, like it's like it, one of his because he he was in prison like five to six years ago. Got out of prison, turned his life around, gotten huge in the independent uh, music scene and stuff like that, and. Uh, the dude's freaking falling out, and uh, I, I got one of his earlier like EPs, or does he does like a record label or independent thing, and he does a lot of stuff with like Yellow Wolf and stuff. And, I love uh, Yellow Wolf. Yellow Wolf is the shit. I still think Trunk Music is the best record he's ever put out, but he's put out a really kick-ass song with uh, Jelly Roll and Struggle Jennings called I think it's called Money, something hmm. Money. Uh, I only heard about half the song, but I was on my way to work. But uh, yeah, I saw the video and stuff like that, but. Uh, with uh, Struggle Jennings, when you hear that song, like I said, it, it's when you hear it with what's going on in the world, it just it resonates. You're just like, oh my god! And then Caitlin Curtis, you know, some people are like, oh, I don't listen to chick singers, blah blah blah. I mean, you know, as we're we love music, but when you hear her voice and she hits these notes, and with the subject matter and with her her uh, chorus, oh my god, you'll hit the hair on your arms will stand up. You just like, oh my god, you get chills. Fuck yeah, and that's a, the shit. And there's a part in the song where she hits the super, super high note, right, at that dramatic point, uh -huh. and you're like, oh my god.
God, this song's amazing. And it's not always just the octave, like Mariah Carey can Mariah Carey can hit some really high notes, but it's like it's the way that they hit it. Like like even Aaron Lewis, it. like he he doesn't he doesn't hit like super high notes like Brennan Urie from Panic at the Disco or anything like that. But when he hits these notes, it will make you feel it. You the know, subject and that's... matter, soul behind it, the the sound of their voice. I mean, when you hear this, like I played a song for one of my friends, and she was like, "Oh my god, this chick's awesome!" Uh, and like, I'm gonna play it right now for her. Listen to, and trust me, she can sing live because I saw her live. What's the name of the song again? Uh, only uh, God, we need you now. God, we need you now. Okay, I'm gonna play that right now for everybody. So you got to hear us talk about that song for about 20 minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you better stick around and listen to that motherfucker. All mm-hmm. right, Steve. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure, man. And uh, yeah, we're coming up on an hour now, so I'm and I'm not even gonna have time to edit this, so we're just putting it out as is. So luckily, I don't think there's any pauses or anything in there, so we should be fine. Perfect. It's always good, my brother. Definitely, man. And I will be playing in Fresno soon, so I will uh, I will definitely be seeing you soon, brother, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much awesome. for being a fan of the show, and thank you so much for sharing the show. I appreciate it. We've talked about having you on since the very beginning. Of course, this is only episode nine, but still, you know, it's yeah, been, it's been it's going not. on for seven months, so... <laughs> Hey, most most motherfuckers don't even last that long. They put out like one or two episodes and they're like, hey, this shit's hard. Yeah, yeah. It, it's fucking hard to put out a podcast. If you anybody that's out there like listening and judging me right now, go make one, motherfucker. See what right. you think. Because when you do it and you actually have to edit and you have to research and you have to record it, and I do it all out of my garage on one little computer and a $30 microphone, you know what? I don't think I'm doing too bad with how many people I have listening to it. I'm pretty proud of myself because it, it does take a lot of fucking time. It's, it's, I love the Halloween episode you did where it had like the, the little mini stories. Like, was it 10? Was it 10 or 12 mini stories? I, I, think, it was, I think it was 10. And that was the least that I've had to actually research because I found a credible, a credible fucking page that actually had that stuff on there. So I was like, okay, this will be pretty easy to do. But the Dimebag one, you know, I mean, being that Dimebag is literally one of my heroes, I had to make sure that it was accurate as fuck. You know, so and like I said, there might be a couple things that maybe that my sources weren't right, but I think I got it pretty fucking close. And I definitely I definitely did my time. I took my time with it. And uh, I'm proud of this episode. You know, I don't know how this discussion is going to sound because I'm not even listening to it. I'm just going to go ahead and upload the motherfucker because I'm the one You know, (laughs) we're just talking. But like as far as the episode, I'm 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 pretty happy with what's in it. And I think that I was able to uh, make the point that I wanted to make. And, and that was that mental illness, it needs to be addressed. We need more money behind it. We need people to help people that need help with mental illness. Yeah. If there was more money towards... What was that? Oh, okay. Well, he must have... Uh, his, <laughs> his phone must have went fucking dead. Okay, here is Struggle Jennings. And I'm sorry about the rough recording. I know that we were clipping on a few spots, so my apologies. My name is Michael Keeney. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you guys. This is Struggle Jennings, and uh, God, we need you now. Chill, don't medicate, just meditate. You waking up now, well, baby, you hella late. 
educate Look at what's going on, let it resonate, accelerate Find your inner hunger like you never ate Agenda is to push the hate Separate and segregate Don't celebrate quite yet, the storm is coming Cue for heaven's sake Violence that they demonstrate Instigate and penetrate The values of our country and our God is what they desecrate My fighters ain't no featherweight Pulling out the seams of the fabric that they fabricate They feed us lies, manipulate Intimidate through fear and force Forcing us to sit and wait Till we come together, congregate And then we liberate Praying that you give me strength To find some love amongst the hate Marching on these streets of blood Till I see the golden gates Troubadour and troubled souls One of God's servants Blades out, cut the grass Till we see the serpents oh, one day I hope you see the truth This puppet show stays on Because of you Just digested, suspected something's going on, but chose to just neglect it. Deflected by some breaking news, always just accepted. Expected just to fall in line and follow their perspective. Don't question their objective, but I got a lot of questions. How these kids molested, but nobody's been arrested. Read it in the testament, these children are protected. So I'm fighting all these terrorists, both foreign and domestic. Refuse to be directed, lying out of sheep. Only kneel to my God, so I'm dying on my feet. Uh. Silence when we speak, but there's violence in the street I've been rolling with the punches, I can't take it on the cheek uh, Drink from a glass half full, I'm optimistic People are sadistic, so vicious and malicious Praying for assistance to overcome our position Or I'm gonna start resisting and then I pray for forgiveness oh, one day, I hope you see the truth This puppet show stays on because of you